We've all heard stories about people overcoming obstacles to achieve their dreams. For example, Benjamin Franklin dropped out of school at the age of 10, yet he would later go on to become one of the country's founding fathers. Author Jack Canfield's book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, was rejected by 144 publishers. Years later, though, Canfield would sell the Chicken Soup for the Soul brand for $59 million. It took Thomas Edison a thousand tries before he successfully created the light bulb. Could you imagine how our lives might be different if he had succumbed to his failure and given up? And then there are the stories that we don't hear of people who tried and failed and were discouraged and never tried again. As publisher and author William Feather has said, success seems to be largely a matter of hanging on when others let go. But why do some hang on and suffer defeat a thousand times over while others let go too soon? Is the will to keep pushing some sort of special genetic gift possessed by only a fortunate few? Or is it something that can be trained or learned? Today's episode features fitness industry veteran and visionary Greg Justice, who went from following the safe path, doing a job that he didn't have a passion for but would provide a comfortable life, to dreaming of a career that would fulfill him but was much less certain. He talks about how a shift in perspective altered his career and his unique response when entering that career seemed irrevocably blocked. He also tells us why we need to think differently about failure, why goals and business plans might negatively impact growth, and the one thing he does every single day that he believes is largely responsible for his incredible and long-term success. This is the Book Builders on Books and Authors, and I'm Ryan Halverson. You know, I was an athlete all through, uh, you know, from being a little league ball player to a high school wrestler, judo player through college. This is Greg explaining the root of his interest in physical fitness. Um, but I was really never quite set on what I wanted to become. In fact, up until my junior year of college, I was in a program called coal mining technology. I was going to be a coal miner. And um, I was working in the coal mines of eastern Kentucky. Um, and what I really realized through that process was I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was a good way to pay my way through college in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, bought me a nice fancy sports car. I could see that I could make a fair amount of money being a coal miner. But I tell you what, it was just. Uh, my mindset, which we will get into here in just a little bit, was not where it needed to be because I had no passion for it. I was just doing it 100% for the money, and I realized pretty quickly that that was no way to uh, go through life, just to make a living, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of went back to my passion, and a lot of times you will find your purpose. You know, it's all about finding your purpose, what you were intended to do on this earth. And um, as I searched on the other side of my passion, which was health, fitness, athletics, uh, I was able to find my ultimate purpose moving forward. And, uh, you know, that, that took a lot of soul searching. And uh, I'm a man of faith and, I, and I'm a firm believer that um, I was able to find my purpose through my passion, which is health and fitness. And so my junior year of college, I switched majors into um, uh, health and physical education uh, corporate wellness, corporate fitness, uh, exercise science as a degree really didn't exist back then, nor did the field of 
personal fitness training uh, or the industry as it is. Um, so it was really kind of I was going into it to be a high school physical education teacher and wrestling coach. Uh, that was what I really saw as my, as my career path after getting out of coal mining. Though he felt he was getting closer to where he wanted to be, Greg says that after completing his student teaching requirement, physical education didn't give him that spark of passion he'd hoped to find. He'd had this idea that he wanted to help people through exercise, but there really wasn't such a thing as a personal trainer. At the time, it seemed that the only fitness-related career path was that of a PE teacher. But an exercise movement was beginning to take shape, and that movement wore leg warmers and leotards. Remember the Jane Fonda uh, <laughs> aerobics industry, and I kind of got swept up in that and became a um, manager of a fitness center in the early 80s. Um, I had uh, completed my undergraduate degree, started my master's degree, and um, uh, decided to drop out with one semester to go in completing my graduate work to get married moved 600 miles away. I was dating my fiance then, now wife of 31 years. Um, and uh, so I dropped out, moved back to Kansas City. I was going to school in eastern Kentucky. Uh, dropped out to uh, marry a, a lovely little co-ed. <laughs> and, um, and we've been married now for 31 years. So that was in 1985. And uh, thought I had my dream job working uh, as a general manager of a fitness center until one day I went into my office and there was a gentleman sitting at my desk <laughs> and I thought, oh no, this probably isn't a good sign. The gentleman at his desk explained that the club had been sold and that he had decided to bring in a new management team, which meant letting go of the one currently in place, which meant the 25-year-old newlywed of six months was now out of a job. And I was devastated. <laughs> I thought my world had just ended. But then an interesting thing happened. Greg, upset and worried about the uncertainty of his future, didn't do what most of us might. Instead of giving the guy a piece of his mind or hurriedly and angrily packing up his things, he took a different path. He decided to remain in the office and have a conversation about what he considered to be the most important element of the transition. And it was this conversation that would form the foundation for everything he would do from that moment on. And there's a lesson here for a lot for trainers and, and just people in general. We spent the next 45 minutes in what was supposed to be about a five-minute conversation of him letting me go and me packing my things up and leaving. Uh, but again, we spent the next 45 minutes discussing how we were going to make this transition smooth for those that mattered most in this equation, and that was our clients in the club. And I think that conversation really impacted that gentleman. Um, because, uh, uh, again, we had laid out a, a nice little blueprint to make the transition smooth. You know, I wasn't going to do anything to undercut him. I uh, wasn't going to talk negatively about him, him because it wasn't about him. It wasn't about me. It was about making the transition for our clients smooth. Uh, I then proceeded to walk out with my uh, tail tucked between my legs because I was a young man with no job and a, and a six months marriage and my wife to explain that I no longer was employed. Um, and I spent the rest of the day trying to figure out the strategy, how I was going to tell my bride of six months 
that I no longer had a job. And so I went to pick her up that evening. We just had one car and um, uh, was devastated trying to tell her what was going on. And she's like, you know, what, what's, what's the big deal here? This is a perfect opportunity for you to go back, complete your graduate degree one semester, complete your graduate de degree and do what you've always dreamed about doing, starting your own business. And it was kind of like, you know, talk about your mindset shifting immediately. He decided to take his wife's advice and return to graduate school to finish his degree. And then shortly after, he heard from the gym manager who had fired him a few days before. It turns out that the conversation they'd shared caused him to think twice about letting Greg go. And he said, Greg, I made a mistake. The conversation we had made me realize that you're the right person for this job. I want you to come back. So this guy turned your life upside down, not only once, but now twice. What did you say to him? I said to him, okay, here's what I'll do. I've got one semester to go to complete my graduate degree. I'm going to move back to Kentucky for five months. But if you will let me start my personal training business in your facility, when I come back, I'll go back to work for you. He, he was like, well, okay, you know, hey, that sounds like a reasonable deal. I'll take you up on that deal, and I'll even become your first client. So two days earlier, this guy had just fired me. Now he's going to give me a location to open my personal training business and become my first client. You know, that's, that's just a classic lesson in, you know, reframing the conversation, not burning bridges. And, you know, that, that decision and, and that mindset and that choice right there really propelled my business forward. You'd eventually go on to open Kansas City's first personal training center in May of 1986, and then over the course of the subsequent 30 years, lead more than 50,000 personal training sessions. Now, it's clear to me that you believe that you got your start in your business, and your business has thrived as a result of mindset, and you've written several books on the topic. So mindset's kind of your thing, right? Whatever it is you want to do, it starts with the six inches between your ears. Mindset. You're not the only one who believes in the power of mindset and positive thinking. Other authors and speakers talk about how important it is to get the mind right and that positivity in all things should be the ultimate goal. In reference to mindset, there are all those buzzy motivational sayings like, what the mind can perceive you can achieve, or when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But life doesn't always give you lemons. Sometimes it gives you grenades. What do you do then? Well, I don't think it's realistic to always be positive because if you think about the reality of things, uh, you know, there's an old saying that a shadow cannot exist without the light, right? Into every life, there's going to be some darkness. And honestly, that's the yin and the yang of existence. You know, without... Um, experiencing heartbreak, you can't truly understand what love is. Without darkness, there can't be light. What we have to do is understand that this too will pass. Again, I can't tell you how heartbroken, how devastated, how hurt I was when I lost my job. You know, when your kids hurt, you hurt. Those are all real human things that we all have to go through, right? But if we, on a daily basis, practice 
because again, developing positive attitudes, your mindset is really just a collection of your attitudes, right? Attitudes are developed through daily habits. You have to practice on a daily basis. All right, let's talk about a somewhat similar topic. What about the pursuit of happiness? There's loads of marketing and advertising that shills products or services that will supposedly make us happy. And if you're to take that further, those ads and marketing campaigns then seem to suggest that we actually aren't happy. And so many people go to the gym, for example, because they believe that the treadmill offers a pathway toward happiness. And we see it all the time, the notion that if I have this or achieve this, then and only then I will be happy. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, again, I think it's unrealistic to think that you can always be happy, right? And if the pursuit is always just happy, then I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Yin and yang have to exist, you know, uh, the darkness, the light. We all have to be, we're all human. We have to experience that. Um, you know, I think uh, in one of the chapters, um, I think chapter seven, I talk about what we call the three P's, right? You do want to develop a positive attitude. You do want to have the possibility attitude that things I can achieve and then the proactive attitude of doing. I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble is, okay, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, but they're not willing to do what it takes for that next step mm-hmm. to be happy, right? So you can't just tell yourself, it's kind of like going to a conference, and our industry does it too. You know, you've got those motivational speakers that will get in there and get you all fired up, but that's just superficial, you know, motivate you. Motivational speakers, they get you all fired up and then you go home and it's like, oh, back to reality. So when I go to those conferences and things, and I even had a guy ask me this identical question. He said, okay, I get it. You guys are all very motivational. And I stopped him right there and I said, hey, wait, wait. We didn't come here to motivate you because motivation is in the head. We came here to inspire you. And there's a difference, a big difference between inspiring someone and motivating them. Inspiration is that deep down in the soul, right? Inspire. It's just like with our clients. I don't want to motivate you to lose weight. Motivation is temporary. Yeah, I'm going to motivate you through your workout. A coach will motivate his team through the game. But for the long haul, we have to be inspired to win. And whatever winning means, if it's losing the weight. But we have to make it an inspirational thing, not a manipulation thing. And our industry... As you know, Ryan, you look at any of the advertising, we are a, an industry that manipulates, manipulates, manipulates rather than inspires. And truly to change people, you have to inspire them, not manipulate them. What about expectations? Getting back to the if-then scenario, it seems that many believe, and I do the same thing, that if we do X and Y, then Z is imminent. Or let's say in the weight loss world, for example, a lot of people are disappointed when the pounds don't drop as quickly as they want. Where do you think this concept of expectations comes from? Well, expectations, maybe it's even a generational thing. Um, Expectations, uh, in a positive stamp, I guess you could frame it, positive or negative, um, can even be thought of as like entitlement, like I'm entitled to something or I expect this without doing any work for whatever it is. Um, 
and I think we're seeing more and more of that generationally. Um, and, and expectations sometimes can be paralleled with like goals. When we set goals or those expectations, you predetermine situations, right? In other words, uh, goals sometimes can actually limit our performance because we have predetermined what the outcome we want to be. And once we hit that, it's like, okay, we're done. So a lot of times I don't even like to, and, and this is a tough one too, because it's like maybe the better word for them is stepping stones. Let's not say the goal is 20 pounds or whatever. Like let's use stepping stones along the way and allow the body, now we're going into the weight loss perspective. Let's let the body naturally tell us where it needs to be. So maybe the goal they say is 40 pounds. Let's not predetermine that, right? Let's hit little stepping stones along the way. And again, maybe we're talking semantics with the verbiage that we use. But yeah, those expectations, the goals, if we predetermine in our mind, then we're sometimes limiting our potential. This seems very counterintuitive in that we're often told that setting goals is the gold standard of success. If you don't have goals, you don't have a means for making progress. For instance, in the business world, say every expert seems to say that you need to develop a business plan. And as part of that, you need financial goals. But I'm guessing you don't agree with this process. When I started my business, again, I didn't have any blueprint to go on. So, I, But I did develop a five-year plan, right? And I laid out quarter by quarter over the course of five years what my expectations were, my goals, right? And I put that business plan away, didn't think about it, you know, put the nose to the grindstone and then just started working my butt off. And I came across that five-year business plan about 10 years into my business. And I, as I was cleaning my office out one afternoon. And I thought, oh, this is going to be real interesting. I, I don't even remember what I put in that business plan. But I went and got my actual numbers, you know, from when I started the business. And I looked at those projections. And it was amazing that almost every single one of those quarterly projections was met because I had predetermined and maybe even limited because it, I was looking at those numbers like, wow, this is just too bizarre how close these are, numbers are to what I had intended, what I had projected, and maybe what I had limited myself to. But, you know, that was, that's the power of being intentional, and uh, it served me well there. But if I look back, maybe I undersold myself and I could have even done more. Whether it was due to setting goals or, as Greg describes them, self-limiting beliefs, nobody can say for certain what accounted for the remarkable similarity between his forgotten financial expectations and the actual money he brought in. But he doesn't care to take chances in the case that he did limit his potential. Instead, he employs a very simple philosophy. I'm going to say the sky is the limit. That's kind of my, my perspective now is I don't set those goals. I just continue to keep my eye on the prize. I know what the process is. Let's just see how well, how much, how big, you know, what the next step is. 
Let's go back to mindset and attitude because in a way I think it relates to this notion that you've brought up regarding self-limiting beliefs. There are those people in this world who are considered to be born lucky because they seem to get everything they want in life without really having to try all that hard to achieve it. Whereas others would deem themselves unlucky because, for one reason or another, bad circumstances circle them on a regular basis. They just can't seem to catch a break. Why do you think some people seem to have an easy path to follow while others do not? Some of us may seem to have more negative things happen to us than others, but a lot of times we kind of predetermine those situations to happen. So if we buy into the fact that, oh, I'm, I'm unlucky, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not even going to try. Okay, you're right. Just like Henry Ford said, yeah, if you think that's going to be, then you're right. That's going to be. So uh, it, it's just feeding into situations and allowing those negative cycles to continue uh, you do, like I said, on a daily basis, have to work at developing positive attitudes. I mean, you've got to pay attention when those negative thoughts come into your mind. You literally have to pay attention to yourself. And sometimes, right. sometimes we're not good about that. And that's where the whole world uh, or art of mindfulness comes in. You know, that present moment, being in the moment and understanding Oh, okay. Check yourself right there, Greg. You're you're allowing this to feed negative thoughts into your head. It's an, an intentional process, and it's a and it's a it's an effort. It's an everyday thing. Greg says that there's a misconception that mindset practice is something that has an endpoint. Like one day you might feel as though you've got this mindset thing locked down, and therefore there's no need to continue to practice. But like brushing your teeth or mowing the lawn, mindfulness, mindset, and attitude need to be cultivated on a regular basis. You can't get in shape just once and be done with it, can you? Right. (laughs) I mean, it's an ongoing process, okay? If a client comes in and they lose that 40 pounds, is that just the beginning or is that the end? It's just the beginning. You know, fitness is a journey, not a destination. A positive attitude is a journey. It's not a destination. It's a constant, everyday, intentional process. So naturally, there will be days when, even though you've practiced consistently, that negativity manages to burrow in, right? Then the negative self-talk follows, and with it, the vicious cycle of defeat and failure. I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there, myself included, who get down and berate themselves because they weren't able to think positively about a situation or... Maybe they allowed an interaction with a loved one to go south. And would they have those same thoughts about their friend or their family member? You know, it's really, it's illogical when you think about it. It's like you can be so wonderful and caring and compassionate for your your best friend. But you you don't have that same compassion for yourself. It just doesn't make sense. We are wonderful about being compassionate to our friends, to our family when they're struggling. We have a real hard time with self-compassion when we're struggling. And does that make, even make sense? Because it's kind of like the, um, the airplane scenario where when the oxygen mask drops, do you help others first or do you help yourself? First, you've got to help yourself. You put the oxygen mask on yourself. Then you can help others. It's the same thing here. Work on yourself. Learn how to be self-compassionate. And then you can be better at having compassion for others. 
All right, one last question. If there was one thing everyone can do to positively alter their lives or create an immediate shift in attitude, what would that be? Read chapter one. (laughs) And the title of that chapter? Begin every day with a smile. I mean, there's a chemical reaction to a smile and a frown and, and how the body instinctively reacts to those things and how the, the chemicals that are released in your body. I mean, you know, the science behind it is really, really fascinating. You know, the, the study of, of happiness. He mentioned several of these studies in his book. For example, behavior change expert Mark Stibich found that a simple smile can have a profound effect on the body's physiology, like reduced blood pressure, improved digestion, sugar regulation, and minimized anxiety-induced reactions. In 1989, psychologist Robert Zajonk wanted to understand if there was a, a chicken or the egg comparison that could be made on the topic. He wanted to know if a smile is the result of happiness or if perhaps happiness could result from a smile. He facilitated several studies to determine this. In one study, researchers presented subjects with pictures of smiles, and another required participants to grin from ear to ear. A third study included participants making sounds like ooh and ee, and in all of these studies, brain reactions and chemical reactions were measured. What he and his colleagues discovered was that the act of smiling did result in improved happiness. And what's most interesting is that the researchers were able to link a smile to actual measurable physiological responses in the body they found that smiling had direct effects on brain activities associated with happiness. Uh, you know, the study of, of attitude, the study of passion, um, you know, within just the last 10 or 15 years, psychologists, the, the, the field of psychology has just started to study passion, which is really fascinating to me. And, and, you know, they even break down different degrees and levels of passion and what they mean. You know, there's harmonious passion. There's obsessive passion. And, you know, really, you think about it, it's like, oh, wow, I had never gone that deep into, the, into that thought. Passion, I thought, was passion. So, you know, just, just digging into simple things like that and going deeper than just the superficial level of things just creates a better understanding. When you start your day with a chemical reaction... <laughs> You know, with that smile, um, and make it a daily practice. You know, just, just, it'll be hard. It'll be hard initially to remember to smile. But again, doing something intentional on a daily basis, and also understanding that into every life, you know, hardship will fall. Just don't let it define you. But if you can start your day in a positive manner, with a chemical reaction, with a physical smile. You'll be amazed at how that can help. You know, it's not a panacea. There isn't that. But it can certainly frame the day and start the day on a positive note. Well, you heard the man. The simple act of smiling can work wonders. So I say we all plaster our faces with the biggest, toothiest grin you can muster right now. And let that sucker sink in. No flash-in-the-pan nonsense. Make it a big Cheshire cat grin. Go ahead. Ah, that feels nice. And that's our show. 
I'd like to send out a big smiley thanks to Greg Justice for sharing his insights with us today. If you liked what he has to say, be sure to travel over to AYCFit.com and pick up Mindset Over Matter or the other books he has available on his site. I'd also like to thank you, our listener, for sharing the day with us. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss out on the next episode. My name is Ryan Halverson, and this has been The Book Builders on Books and Authors. 